book of Ezra, chapter number 9 and verse number 8. Thank you to all of our guests for being here. We're so excited that you've come and blessed us by being in the presence of the Lord to worship God together with us. We're so thankful that you've done so. And uh, we are believing God to bless you for coming as you've blessed us by being here. Amen. You didn't come to just any building, just any church. You didn't come just anywhere. You came to what we call an apostolic church. That word apostolic, it means like the apostles. And that means we preach and teach the same thing that the apostles preached and taught. And that is specifically water baptism in Jesus' name, repentance of sin, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I have witnesses all over this house from front to back and left to right that it's the best thing that could ever happen in your life. book of Ezra chapter number nine and verse number eight I looked over at brother Tim I did this a few weeks ago as well I looked over I said I don't think I'm preaching tonight everybody was was getting wound up and uh, the two times I've said that I've ended up preaching both times so the, the gift of prophecy was not on me at that moment Ezra chapter number nine and verse number eight and now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving. in our bondage. Now notice they did not say give us a great space of grace. They didn't ask for a large place in the presence of the Lord. They said just give me a nail, just a small spot and give us a little reviving, not deliverance, from our bondage, but just give me a little reviving in our bondage. We'll preach for a little while tonight on more than a little revival. I'm telling you, I'm hungry. And I'm not talking about food, although that's in the in the in the equation. But I'm hungry tonight. I find myself thirsty for more than a little revival. I find myself believing that as great as it's been, that there's more. And as good as God's been, that there's more. And with all the great things he's done, there's more great things that he wants to do. And so I'm preaching tonight more than a little revival. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, for your spirit to move, anoint me to preach, anoint our ears to hear. God, I'm asking you tonight to do a work of the Holy Ghost in this place. God, I pray that somehow, some way, I can transmit a spiritual hunger and a thirsting through the preaching of your word by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. God, that an appetite will begin to rise up in somebody's soul and that, God, that there'll be a deep-seated hunger and thirsting for more of you in the heart of every, everybody that's in this place, oh God, that by the time we leave this house, that there will be a passionate heart cry for more of you. God, I believe there's another level. God, I believe there's more. I believe there's a great end-time move of the Holy Ghost that we can be a part of, Lord. I believe, oh God, that North Mississippi hasn't seen its last move of your spirit. That our communities and our neighborhoods and our towns and our villages have another outpouring of the Holy Ghost in store, God. And I want more than a little reviving. I want more than just a little bit. I want more than just a little bit, God. I'm hungry. I don't want just a little goosebump tonight. 
I don't want just a little chill bump down my arm tonight, God. I'm not asking you for, pat to, for you to pat me on the head and give me a tiny little blessing so I can go on home like a good little boy. God, I'm hungry for more than a little revival tonight. God, I'm hungry for more than just a little revival. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. Let me be clear tonight. I think you already know what I'm preaching about. The term revival really in my particular vocabulary, in my mental and spiritual context really has two meanings. Often when I preach about revival, in one sense what I'm talking about is winning new people, new people coming. Uh, that, that is also referred to as harvest. We use the term interchangeably. That when we often say, God, give us a revival, what we're really saying is, God, we want a harvest. We want new people to come and be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. There is also another dimension of the word revival, and that is what I'm talking about primarily tonight, because I believe that if we get this second part of the definition of revival, that the first part will indeed happen in unprecedented measures. The definition of revival means an improvement in the condition or strength of something. It means to become active to, or to become important again. A reawakening, it means. A fervor, a restoration to life or consciousness. I am preaching tonight revival from a church perspective first. Amen. That God give us, the church, a fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost, a fresh touch of your spirit. Oh, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Have you, ever, have you ever found a restaurant, maybe a place that you have never been to before, and you went, and it was so good that, that, uh, that the next time you went to eat somewhere, you went back there, and it was so good that you decided to go back again, and you went back again because it was new, and it was fresh, and it was good, and then after a time where that's the only place you wanted to go, after a while, you think, no, I don't know if I want to go back there. I'm sort of tired of that. Anybody ever do that with food before? Amen. It's, it's, and, and I'm not preaching against it because if I preach against what I'm getting ready to say, half the church getting ready to walk out on me right now. But it's like this, this loaded tea stuff that everybody's doing. Now, don't, hey, don't get mad. I didn't say I was preaching against it. I'm just saying that they, 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 it's like every day I got to have two or three of them. I don't know how people's hearts haven't exploded in their chest with all that caffeine. But after a certain time, no matter what it is, human nature makes us to get weary of the same thing over and over again. And I will tell you that I know I'm preaching to people that love God. You're here on a Sunday night. I know I'm preaching to people that love to worship God and want to live for God, and want to serve God. But we must guard against the things of God just becoming ritual and habit and something that we do, but our heart and spirit is disconnected from what we're trying to do in the presence of the Lord. May I tell you that we are living in a world and a society and a spiritual culture that is vexing to the soul. Amen. 2 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 8 said for that righteous man. Everybody say righteous man. Lot was a righteous man. He was a righteous man in dwelling in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible said he was righteous. Amen. He was living right. He was doing right. He wasn't participating in the things that the city of Sodom was participating in. He wasn't doing the things that they were doing. But the Bible said that the righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. A righteous man living in a wicked environment 
found it difficult for his soul to stay where it needed to be. His soul was righteous. His soul was holy. His soul wanted to live for God. His soul wanted to make heaven. But by that soul being in a wicked culture and environment, he found his soul being vexed. And I wonder if I could get anybody that would be willing to admit I want to live for God and I want to serve God and I want to love God, but I'm finding my soul struggling in this present day and age. I find my heart and my spirit is struggling being vexed by what's going on in the world. This world vexes people's attitude, their spirit, amen, their heart their soul. This is a vexing world. A righteous man can have trouble living for God in a wicked world. It doesn't mean that you don't love God. It doesn't mean that have you ever done, have you ever gone out and you just lived your life, went to work, did whatever, and you got home and you hadn't said anything wrong, you hadn't treated anybody bad, you hadn't done anything wrong, but you came home and still felt dirty? That's the vexing of your righteous soul by a wicked and sinful world. I will tell you that the sins of this world may please the flesh and may please the eye, but it torments the soul. Your soul was created to interact with the Spirit of the Lord. Your soul was not created for sports. Your soul was not created for Hollywood. Your soul was not created for the music industry. Your soul was created for divine inter. Interaction, but living in this world is a torment to the soul. If you can think with me of a parallel, think with me of the man possessed by a, a legion of devils. This man, the devils, were, he had possessed this man. And when Jesus got close to that man, the demons told Jesus, have you come to torment us before our time? There was something about the presence of Jesus Christ that tormented the demonic spirits. So think about it on the other side. There is something about the demonic spirits in this world that torment the heart and mind of a godly person person. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I must submit to you tonight that we are not in a patty cake parade uh, on our way to heaven. Uh, we are in a war for the very eternal soul. We are in a war for your spirit, for your eternity. Uh, this world wants to vex your soul, but God wants to revive you. Oh, I wish somebody would praise God right now. Our souls, our righteous soul, can be vexed by seeing and hearing. Our eyes and ears are gateways for the world to vex the spirit man inside of you. Can I get an amen? amen. Your eyes and ears. The Bible said that Lot's soul was vexed by seeing and hearing. Your eyes and your ears are the gateway that the enemy uses to vex your never dying eternal soul. That's why you must be careful what you listen to and what you watch, what your eyes and your ears entertain because those are gateways that the devil uses to mess your mind up, to mess your spirit up, to make you carnal and worldly. You got to protect your eyes. I remember in the old days, we were preached. They would preach us against the things of this world. And may I stand in this pulpit one more time and may I tell you, you got to guard your eyes and guard your ears. I wouldn't let sex talking music in my mind all the time. If I want to have a godly mind, I'd guard my, I wouldn't let all kinds of curse words through television and movies be playing in my house all the time and then wonder why I have trouble being godly. I know, I, look, I realize I'm old-fashioned. I'm not planning on getting young-fashioned anytime soon. I'm planning on preaching that we got to guard our eyes. Come on, I wonder if anybody here needs to go home and clean out your DVD cabinet or get some stuff out of your Netflix account. You don't want me to preach it, but I got to preach it because your eyes and ears are the gateway to your soul. 
Can I take it a little bit of a step further? Don't expect to watch porn on your phone all day and have a spiritual mind when you come to the house of God. Can we get real a little bit? And can we talk about what's going on in this world? We got to stand up and understand that our eyes and ears are gay. That would have been a good place for a Christian to say amen. Makes me wonder why some aren't. This world may please the flesh and the eye, but it torments the soul. My soul was created for divine interaction. Lot found himself at a breaking point in Sodom. That it was be delivered or die here. I'm telling you today, and I believe the Spirit of the Lord is telling us tonight, that we need a revival in our own soul. That we need a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost to touch us in this wicked and perverse generation. Oh, God. That we need a fresh anointing of the Spirit of God to touch us. Touch my eyes. Touch my ears. My soul is vexed by what happens out there all day long. And so, God, I'm asking you to give us a real old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival, not just in this building, but in our soul. God, I pray, give my family revival. But God, I'm not praying it just on my house. I'm praying it right here in my heart. God, I need a revival. I wonder if somebody would raise your hands to heaven and say, God, I don't know necessarily what that man's preaching, but God, I know I need what he's feeling. I know I need what he's talking about. I may not know all the details, but I know I need a revival, God. people become carnally minded they give up important things in the spirit your soul only has room for so much in the bible in the days of nehemiah the bible said that they moved in the household stuff of tobiah where aforetime the tithe of the corn and the oil and the new wine had been kept you understand that tobiah was an amalekite he was an enemy of God and God's people. And to move one thing in of Tobiah, they had to move something of God out. So when they moved the household stuff of Tobiah, I don't know what kind of household stuff they had back then. I don't know if it's anything like, like, uh, like most houses, it's like 800 pillows on one bed. Every time they brought in one of Tobiah's pillows, they had to move something out that belonged to God. The Bible said they moved out the tithe of the corn. They moved out the new wine. They moved out the oil. They had to move out the things that belonged to God that was in the house of God. And so they would have room to move in the stuff of Tobiah. Tobiah's carrying his basket full of dirty laundry in. And he brings it in, but there's no room to set it down. So he's got to grab the oil and carry the oil, the anointing out, and set it outside. Because if he doesn't move the anointing out, there's no room for his stuff on the inside. So there's this interaction of moving godly things out and worldly things in. You say, I would never do that. I would never do that to the house of God. But know ye not, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when you move something from the world into your life, something from God has to go out. You don't have room for this world and God in the same place. So if you move something in from the world, you got to move something out. So what we need is a revival to sweep across. Let me, let me read this. I wasn't going to do it, and then I was, and then I decided not to. I took it off. I put it back. I decided I wasn't going to. I thought I was going to just try to preach quick and get out, and then I find myself saying, okay, I'm going to read it. Recalibrate Rob Ron Hunter, a new measure for family ministry. On page 9, author of the first chapter, Philip Nation, wrote under hobbyism. Hobbyism. Rather than discipling kids on the issues of faith, 
Families invest small fortunes and enormous time commitments to tools of entertainment. Rather than discipling, I, I told my professor, I had, to, I had to talk, I had to do a, a thing about this book, and I said, this man writes with a scalpel, not an ink pen. <laughs> rather, than dis, rather than discipling one another to become dependent upon Christ, we create leeches of leisure. Kids are taught to excel academically, be proficient in the arts, enjoy a pastime, or master a sport so they will be happy adults. Their schedule revolves around the next external activity that feeds the ego rather than humbling the spirit. The tools of our entertainment become the masters of family life. They are terrible masters that set faith building to the side in favor of worldly pursuits by surrendering family life to hobbyism. Parents disciple kids to believe that entertainment is the point of life. They create the worst kind of church attender, a consumer of religious goods and services rather than a servant of Christ and his mission. God, we need a revival. Amen. Several years ago, Brother Robin Johnson was preaching a revival here. It was probably, Lord, it was probably 15 years ago. And we had somebody that stood up to testify. And they said, I got three words for you. We are going to have a revival. I got three words for you. We need revival. We need revival, God. I need to be stirred up one more time. I need my prayer life to be stirred up. I need my soul to be stirred up. I need my worship to be stirred up. I need my pure mind to be stirred up. I need this preacher to stir me up tonight. I wish a mom, a dad, a young person would say, God, let what that preacher's feeling get a hold of my heart tonight. We need a revival. We need a revival to sweep across this building tonight. We need a revival in the front rows and the back rows. We need a revival in the gray hair and the no hair and on this good hair up front. God, we need a revival to stir this place. We need a revival that goes home with us, not stays in the altar. We need a revival that gets in the car with us here in a few minutes and rides this road with us. We need a revival that drives me to a prayer room that opens my mouth and cries out for God. We need a revival. We need a revival. We need a revival. Lord Jesus, Lift your, lift your hands in the air and say, God, talk to me. God, talk to me. Make this personal for me, Lord. Somehow help this preacher to preach to me what I need. God, don't let it just be general terms, church-wide, but let me make it personal for me. I need revival. The book of Ezra was the account of a man of God as he went to Jerusalem to restore civil and religious order to the land of Judah after it had been overrun. The people were God's people. They were anointed. They were chosen. But they had been overtaken by their enemy had intermarried with pagans, idol worshipers. And were influenced by these sinful societies. So God sent Ezra to bring order back and to change the atmosphere of the land. The people had been tormented by the idol worshipers around them. They had been manipulated and overpowered by the cultures that lay at their neighbors. The people didn't want to be servants of idol worshipers, but they didn't want to abandon their carnal lifestyle at the same time. So now they are in a strait between two options. I don't want to be a slave to the people around me, but I also don't want to give up my worldly pleasure either. I don't want to be ruled by the enemy, but I also don't want to give up some of the enemy's stuff that I've learned to enjoy. So God, I need you to help me. But here's how I want you to help me, Lord. Just give me a little space for grace. Let me feel your presence just one more time, God. Let me feel your power one more time. And 
and, 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 and maybe you can let some of us escape, a remnant get out. And give us a nail in the holy place. Give me a, give me a spot in the house of God. Lighten our eyes. Give us a little bit better vision, Lord. And give us a little reviving in our bondage. Don't take the bondage completely away because the bondage is a little bit fun. Sort of enjoy sin just a little bit. Don't take it completely away, but, but make it a little bit easier on me. Instead of asking for a lot of reviving, they were willing to settle for just a little bit. Give us enough to make us feel better, but don't give me enough to change me. I don't want to be an addict or a drunk. I don't want to be an abuser. I don't want, I don't want my life to be torn up, but I, but, but, but I still, I don't really necessarily want to give up everything, so give me a little bit of reviving in my bondage. Let me feel better, but not be better. Let me feel happier, but not really be free. So just give me a little bit of reviving in my bondage. I like my bondage. I don't really want you to take it away, but I don't really want, want all the problems that come along with it. So God, here's what I'm asking you to do. Just give me a little bit of revival so I'll feel better about it. And then when I want another bite, I'll come back and ask for a little bit more. But don't trouble me between now and then because I'm going to enjoy my time out there while I got a chance. I'm going to shout on Sunday night, but you don't listen to the jokes I'm going to tell tomorrow at school, God. And I'll shout and I'll do right while I'm in the altar on Sunday night. But don't look at what I'm planning on wearing to work tomorrow. Well, my God, I went there, didn't I? Sunday morning, we find out how popular the church is. Sunday night, you find out how popular the pastor is. Wednesday night, you find out how popular God is. God, give me a little revival, but not too much, because I got a lifestyle I sort of enjoy. My favorite show is on Wednesday night. I won't be able to dance with the stars if I'm here dancing with the saints. So I, got, I don't have time. So give me just a little bit, God. Give me just a little bit of reviving. Oh, God, we're in desperate need of a revival that cleans our mind, heart, and soul out. Oh, God, I'm not trying to just be a, a what the, when we were young, they called it an old fogey or a stick in the mud. I'm not trying to be just an old, grappy, grouchy preacher. Amen. But what I am saying is, God, help us to be on point because we're running out of time. This world is running out of time. Their blood is on our hands. And when they walk through these doors, we need to be the church we're supposed to be. Thank you for worshiping tonight. Thank you for responding to the Spirit of the Lord today. That's why, that's why I'm preaching like I am, because that's the atmosphere that people, they don't know what it is, but they know I feel something when I come in that building. I had somebody come up to me a few weeks ago. They said, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happened here. I don't know what's going on here, but I know one thing when I came in here, I knew it was different than any place that I'd ever been. Thank God. That's why, that's why I'm preaching like I am right now, because we need more people coming through those doors that said, I feel something like I never felt. I don't understand it. I don't know what it is, but I know I need it in my life. Give me a little reviving, God. No, no, no. Not a little reviving. Give me a revival, God. Give me a revival. I wish somebody would throw their hands up to heaven and lift your voice and say, God, I want a revival. I want more than a little revival. God, help us. God, let me retain a zeal for worship. God, don't let it ever get boring to me. God, don't ever let it just become a ritual and a habit that I stand just because that's what we do and I lift my hands and clap to the music, but God, don't let, but, I, but my heart isn't connected to you. God, let me, God, let, let, did you see what happened when we began to worship God tonight? Did you see people as they began to respond to the Spirit of God all over this place? 
all over this place, young people, middle-aged folks, older folks, moms, dads, kids, the Holy Ghost moving and touching. That's because there's a genuine outpouring of the Holy Ghost that comes when people are hungry for the presence of God. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm saying, God, help me to reach for more of that. Don't let me ever, don't let me ever get tired of it. There was, what was that? There was, there was a product. Man, I'm going to show my age now. You guys will know nothing about what I'm getting ready to say. But, but some of you will. There was a product, and it was a little dabble, do you? I'm thankful. I'm glad, I'm glad there's some more old people like me in here. A little dabble, do you? A little dab will. You ever seen somebody use more than a dab? It, like, dripped off the head? A little dab will do you. But that's, that's, that's burl cream. That's not the Holy Ghost. I don't want just a little bit of what God has for me. I don't want just a little bit to make me feel just a little bit better. I'm saying, God, I want you to revive me. Here's what the Bible said, Psalms 138 and 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. Stop right there. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever have a troubling doctor's report? Anybody ever have a troubling spot in your marriage and you didn't know how it was going to work out? Anybody ever have a troubling spot in life where you just didn't know what was going to happen and what was coming next? Here's what the Bible said, that though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou will revive me. I'm preaching a promise from God that if we'll have our minds set on him, whatever you're dealing with, God can send a revival in the middle of your trouble. It may look hopeless. It may look like there's no chance. It may look like it'll never happen. But God said, though you walk in the midst... I'm preaching to somebody that's in trouble right now. I'm preaching to somebody that you're wondering right now, how is it all going to work out? I'm telling you, it's going to work out. It's going to work out when we get hungry for a revival. God, I don't want to play patty cake religion. God, I don't want to just have the name Chris. But God, let me have a revival. Where sin did abound, grace. Isn't that an awesome verse? Isn't that a great verse? Romans 5 and 20, but where sin abounded, abounded, you know, it's like, it's like it's overflowing. Sin's everywhere. Sin's, it's like it's in control. It's like it's out of control. Sin abounded. But don't ever think that just because sin is having a heyday, that it's in complete control. Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Woo! Hallelujah. Sin abounded in my life, had me strung out. Sin abounded in my life, had me miserable. Sin had abounded in my life, had me depressed, had me overcome, had me worried, had me overcome where I had no joy, but I found out that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's why you're here right now, because grace is greater than your sin, because God is greater than your trial, because God is bigger than the devil. That's why you're here, because grace much more abounds. Let me tell somebody something right now. Can I just say something in the Holy Ghost that you may be going through hell on earth right now. You may be in the crucible of affliction, and you may be wondering, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Here's how you're going to make it. That right where you are right now in your life, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Grace is much more abounding for you. You may not see it. You may not realize it, but grace has not left you. Grace has not forsaken you. Grace has not turned its back on you. Grace is much more abounding. Grace is never more evident than when you're in your lowest point. Hosea 14 and 7, they that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn. They that dwell under his shadow. Here's the key to having a revival. You got to get closer to him. You got to get closer to him. You can't be distant from God and have a revival. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. God, help me to get closer to you. 
because my revival is in your presence. My revival is close to you. You want to know why people worship God? Because we're trying to get as close to him as we can. We're trying to get in his presence because we know that in his shadow there is revival and the growth that comes from being in his shadow. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Man, I wish I had the confidence to talk about myself like that. Help me, that, that's a God that knows he's God. For thus saith the high and lofty one. He's not under your trouble. Your trouble hasn't overwhelmed him. Your trouble hasn't washed over him. Your problem hasn't swept him away. He is the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. May I tell you, if you will come to God sincerely and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I can't do this by myself. I can't make it on my own. I wish somebody was hearing what I'm preaching right now. God, I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know how to work it out. I don't know the answer. God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm coming before you in humility and contriteness because I don't have an answer for what I'm going through right now. But God says, I will revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. God never turns away a sincere cry for help. If we present ourselves before God like, ah, whatever, I'll take it or leave it. When I worship him like, okay, God, you got two seconds. Like we're doing a favor to God. But when I come to him and I throw my hands up and I say, God, if you don't help, I can't be helped. If you don't listen, there's nobody to listen. God, if you don't touch me, nothing's going to work. God, I can't turn my family around. I can't turn my marriage around. I can't turn anything around. I can't touch. I can't help myself. I don't have an answer, God. I don't know how to turn it around. But God, I'm coming to you because you're the only one. And he says, I will revive those of a contrite heart and a humble spirit. God, help me to have that revival approach to you. Stand with me, I'm closing. I should have probably closed five minutes ago, but alas, here we are. Judges 15 and 17, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the place Ramath-Lehi. This is the story of Samson, one of the greatest warriors that Israel had ever known. The great strong man that we still talk about to this day, Samson, who defeated the Philistines in multiple ways and methods. It came to pass. This is at the end of one of the greatest, one of the greatest victories he had. He slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. And then when he got done, the Bible said it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the place Ramath-Lehi. The very thing that had just gotten him the victory, he throws to the side. The very next verse, and he was sore thirst and called on the Lord yeah. and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? God, I'm thirsty now. I just want a great victory with this jawbone, and then I, I threw it away. And God, now I'm thirsty, and now it's your fault, God. It's your fault, God. You gave me great deliverance to the hand of thy servant, and now I'm going to die. I mean, he's accusing God. I'm going to die. You're going to let me die to these, these Philistines? God would like to tap Samson on the shoulder and say, Hey, buddy, I'm not the one that threw the jawbone away. 
you are. Verse number 19, but God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came out, and there came water there out, and when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. May I tell you that the worst thing that the apostolic Pentecostal church could do, and the worst thing that an apostolic Pentecostal family could do, and the worst thing that an apostolic Pentecostal person could do, is throw away the very things that have brought us from the upper room to 2021. And that is faithfulness and worship and prayer and holiness and preaching and loving God and reaching souls. God, don't let me take the very thing that you put in our hands to give us victory and cast it away and then accuse you because I need a revival. When in my hand at the very time was water in the jawbone, just waiting to revive me. As your eyes are closed all over this place, Lord Jesus, I've come tonight, as you well know, under the direction of your spirit to preach to good people who love you and want to serve you. I've come, God, to push us to higher levels by faith that comes from hearing the Word of God. God, I've come tonight to challenge, to challenge this church to stay on point, to continue in prayer, to continue in work, to continue in worship, for we have a task at hand that is a great task that you've called us to. And God, I've come to preach to those among us who are weak and weary and tired. Their righteous soul, not their unrighteous soul, but their righteous soul is being vexed, struggling, struggling against a devil that wants to destroy them. God, I've come to preach against the spirit of satisfaction that says, just give me a little revival and I'll be okay. Just give me a little touch, just enough to make it a little while longer. God, I want more than a little revival. Perhaps there's some among us and this is so new to you that half the language, that half the stuff I say is like a foreign language. You get the spirit of what I'm saying, but you don't really understand our Pentecostal lingo. But you know that you're hungry for more of God. And you may not know what all this carrying on is and all this shouting and all this tongue talking and lifting you may not understand what it's all about, but you know this in your very heart that you're hungry for more than a little revival. May I tell you, one of the beautiful things about God is you don't have to have it all figured out when you step towards Him. The Bible simply says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. God will span the chasm. Oh, can we pray all over this place? I feel an anointing to pray. Oh, God. right come on let's let's let the spirit of the lord move here
going to take a moment. We're not going to get in a rush right now. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. God, I want more than a little revival. Oh, God. Oh, God. Amen. Let's lift our hands to heaven. Let's lift our hands to heaven and worship him. That's right, sister. Pour your soul out to God. That's between you and him. That's right. Anybody else want to come to the altar? Did you feel the draw of the spirit on your heart? God, I need more than a little revival. Oh, God, I need you, Lord Jesus. God, I need your help, Lord. sing that. Anybody desperate for more of God? Anybody feel that call of the Spirit on your life?
pray for somebody close to you for a few moments. Just pray the blessing of the Lord on them. Pray the hand of God. Pray good things on them. In the name of the Lord, let your peace and joy, let your grace and mercy. Oh, that's right. Go ahead. Just pray the goodness of God on them. The hand of God, the blessings of God. In the name of Jesus, this is my church family, God. I pray your goodness and your mercy on them. I pray your hand and power on them, God. Lord, all over this building, God, I pray you touch my brothers and sisters, our friends and neighbors. Come on, I want you to pray good things. In the name of Jesus, give them peace, give them joy. Let your kindness let your kindness be on them, Lord. Lord, I thank you, Jesus. We're going to take a few more moments. Just pray. I want you to pray that if you don't know what, just say, God, bless my brother. Bless my sister. Let your blessing, let your blessing be on them, God. Let your blessing, let your goodness and your mercy and your grace. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do something that I don't know that I've ever asked you to do before. how we're going to close this service. I want you to find at least three people and I want you to tell them something good about them. We're not going to put each other down. We're not going to tear each other down. We're not going to make jokes about each other. I want you to bless your brothers and sisters. Uh, now would be a good time. I mean, you all can stand here as long as you want. This train's bound for Mexican food in a few minutes. Amen. Got another one being baptized in Jesus' name tonight. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Man, I love you folks. You guys are awesome. Amen. Give yourselves a good hand for being the people of God, for loving God. Hallelujah.